Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Sexton trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Hello. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom. A single platform for phone. Chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects and connecting with me today is not Justin Rowan. That sandbagging Canadian is on a vacation to Vancouver or somewhere, some, some, some other abandoned NBA city. And instead, I have the vastly superior Dave Dufour. Dave, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I mean, I'm better than Justin. That is, so that's, you know... Already an upgrade. As an um, analyst, absolutely. No, 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 no. I'm at the beach. I'm at the warm <laughs> beach. If he's in Vancouver, I, I think I've got better weather. So I'm doing better than he is right now, maybe. But he's he's on vacation, and we're here talking about the Cavs. So, yeah. Is he at Vancouver or Vancouver Island? I'm now going to sidetrack us on, on oh. Canadian talk. Oh, Dave, I'm such a bad friend. I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, next time when I'm on uh, uh, with Justin and you're not here, uh, I'll find out where he went. Because I actually, I love Vancouver Island, man. I spent a, a good, uh, like, six days camping there with my dogs, and it was a great time. Well, we'll see if he, we'll see if he tunes in, if he hops in the chat and, and tells us, you know, what's what, um, and, 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 you know, scolds I me for being not, a bad friend. If he's on vacation, I hope he doesn't hop in the chat. I mean, I, you know. I mean, I know the views are important, but uh, that would views, imply views in Vancouver are better. That would imply that this is work for him. He lives and breathes this stuff. He was doing oh, it when it, co- we were doing this when it cost us money, Dave. I remember. I remember. So, we were all doing it when it cost us money. Yes. And that's why we love it. So I did want to just, we haven't had you on for a while. Uh, the yeah. Cavs season, you know, obviously they were a game and a half out of first at the all-star break. Everyone gets hurt, and they end up falling to the eighth seed, lose to the Nets, lose to the Hawks, miss the playoffs. What is your, like, big-picture summary of how you feel the Cavs season is in totality, measuring the amazing start from the kind of ignominious end? I mean, I think a lot of people are – we always remember how the thing ended and not, you know, where its peak was necessarily – 
I think a lot of people are going to get hung up on the way things kind of faded and completely forget that Evan Mobley is a rookie mm-hmm. because of the way he played all year. I mean, look at the way that even commentary changed on him once the expectations arrived. Scotty Barnes dealt with this too, by the way. Those guys just played so much better basketball than we ever anticipated out of rookies on teams that were actually going to go to the playoffs. And by the time we got to March, April, people were poking holes in their game big time in a way that, you know, Jalen Green didn't have to deal with. No, Jalen, Jalen, other other than some odd profanity from some other NBA podcasts, Jalen had a pretty unscathed year. (laughs) Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll not comment on on that but but yeah i mean i I think that that my like when i think about the season it's like what an overwhelming success darius garland proved that he is a guy you you drafted a guy i i don't know man i i think that um having two guys like that and knowing what you've got now because garland while he looked great last year i think that having this whole season really solidified what we, you know, what he's going to be. Like, we we now know, okay, this dude is a player. Um, and, and then Mobley just walks right in the door, like, ready. So I, yeah. I think that that's the big story for the season for them is you got two guys. These are, these are franchise guys. And now you get to build a team around those guys because you know sort of what your identity is going to be, especially with Jared Allen. And, Some, and knowing that yeah, I was Jared about Allen to ask. and Mobley work. I was about to ask that in the sense of a lot of Cavs fans would tell you they got three guys. I agree. Would, 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 you, I love put, Jared would Allen. you put Allen kind of in that long-term core? Or do you think that, because you remember, we all remember the beginning of the year where we were saying Mobley is a four for now, but he'll end up a five, you know, just that's the way the league's going. But then all of a sudden the league got huge and all these re- teams with size and switchiness and and all this stuff were able to succeed at least in the regular season and like do you think that Allen is still a long-term long-term piece or a short-term long-term piece cuz he's definitely well, he around a, the next couple of years yeah i think he's definitely around the next couple of years but he's at least a short-term long-term piece they, i mean if they run this back next year i mean he's in it and he's going to be a, an instrumental part of any success they have. He and Mobley worked beautifully together. I don't see any reason to break that up, especially with Darius Garland as your, you know, your, your lead initiator for your offense and knowing what he gives up on the other end. I, I think that having those two guys, I mean, it's totally workable. Now you've got to maybe find ways to be flexible within a roster that has both those guys. And maybe that, is some of the Mobley at the five that we saw when Jared Allen was out. And, you know, and, and, but I do think having Jared Allen and Mobley, it allows you, you never have to play a minute without a plus rim protector. Yeah. I How mean, many they, teams get to say that, right? You don't get to say it very often, but what I find so interesting was about this team. And we've talked about this a little bit in the past is I started the year saying, I hope they can work together but the best they'll probably be will be separate. And the numbers did not bear that out. I mean, what did you see from Mobley as when he got to play that free safety as compared to being the primary rim protector? Because I thought if he had a deficiency on defense, it was probably at the rim. Yeah, well, so that was actually the the funniest thing to come out of this was that when he transitioned and was able to play those minutes at the five, I, I thought that 
oh, he needs work there, right? Like, yeah. I mean, he's not a five yet. He doesn't, he's got good feel, but like the instincts are, are beat slow. It, and, and it's not just being skinny. Like that's, right. I think a lot of people would hear that and go, that's not strong enough. anyway, man. Like, I agree. I'm sorry. It, it Like it's a skinny league. Yeah, it, there are no fat guys out there anymore. So when, when the 50 year old former players are talking about a guy being too skinny for the, I, I just don't know who they're talking about now. It's a difference from from having a like he does, he's not into his adult body yet. Correct. You say that, but he wasn't getting shoved around at all. I mean, if anything, he, I thought he more than held his own for a guy that lean. You know, I mean, he doesn't weigh a lot, but he was doing pretty well. I mean, this is sort of like Chet Holmgren. You know, in the draft, is kind of dealing with some of this, but you don't see him getting shoved around a lot. So, yeah, I think it I, actually. I, I think strength at, at this level of the league actually matters more on offense. Absolutely. Well, Kawhi Leonard and the reason that he was so great, so fast offensively was because of that. And he's he's able to move guys. Yeah. You're able to move guys. The NBA is never going to call that off arm except for Jason Tatum because his is awful, you know, (laughs) but, but yeah, I, I think that for, for Mobley, the, the limitations, the strength limitations even showed up for him as a playmaker, right? Like, I mean, we saw him do stuff, with the ball in his hands, but I would say that he would be bothered when he felt contact as an offensive player, way more than as a defensive player. So yeah, yeah I think was, just defensively timing though. Yeah. As and, a and rim protector that, oh, yeah, and, and as a communicator, as a quarterback, right. I, I feel like Allen really makes Mobley's job easy. And, and you can certainly point to, okay, well, yeah, of course it's easy. He's playing with Allen as compared to Kevin Love or Lowry Markinen as his fellow big who are just not going to be able to, you know, erase mistakes the same way as Jarrett. But I do think there was something to Evan's comfort level operating in space on defense, as opposed to being the, the guy, the, the Rudy Gobert archetype, you know, of, of drop coverage, big. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I, I, I think that the communication part of it, it, it takes just, it takes time, especially in the NBA. It just takes time to kind of find your voice. There are not a lot of rookies that can come in and do that. And, you know, he did get better at it. You could say that, but that's the, that's the thing he's going to have to get it better at. And, and I do think Jared Allen, man, I, he's a luxury. He, he, he is the most luxurious luxury. Like, like you, you're probably feeling pretty damn good about your core. If, if it is just Darius and Evan, but you got this 24 year old, 25 year old kid that, you know, I, I, I feel like we're old. We can, we can call him kids, uh, you know, and he's a kid on the NBA life on the NBA life cycle still, that is part of that core that, that helps Mobley age into his body. I just think that pairing has been so lovely. What has been less lovely that was kind of exposed, especially in the postseason, was a lack of wing depth. Um, and, and really, I mean, the reality is, and especially in that Nets game, you you saw the youth of the team come out where they were just like Kevin Rajon help, <laughs> and and a lot of the kids were not up to the challenge. Uh, Mobley was, Garland was, Lowry didn't catch on till uh till the Hawks game. Um, what do you think about this surrounding core? How close are they? Because they've got a lot of these swing pieces that you know, depending on who you ask, people really like. People really don't like you got Isaac Okoro who, you know, draft draft Twitter loved him. And in the postseason, he got so ignored so thoroughly that the Cavs just decided not to play him. You have Lowry marketing who got 
you know, Poe just got absolutely cooked by Trey Young on defense, but kept the cat, you know, was a big part of the Cavs building their lead in the first half of that Hawks game. What, how close do you think this team is to, to the rest of the guys being ready to help? Uh, because I think Darius, Evan, Jarrett, there's a degree of confidence those guys are going to be postseason quality players. What about everyone else? Because that's the goal next year. I mean, Kevin Love is a playoff player. In certain but, matchups. Sure, right? Um, sort of, yeah. Uh, Isaac Okoro just not being bigger kind of hurts them a little bit. God, and how, like, how different is this guy's uh, is reputation eight, to be six seven right. six eight? Yeah, it's just that's a that's a big problem because he gives up so much on the offensive end that with the lack of positional size, it's just like, I don't know if we can have you out here, bro. You know, it just, he's not lifting up uh, your defense enough. So having a small front court is, is harmful, but Garland is one of your guys. So I think that the places they could be looking to upgrade, obviously two and three, um, I, there's just not a lot of guys out there. I don't see any guys on this roster that, that are making the cut. For a team I, I that wants to, you. I hope, like, I'm thinking next year, like, they want to make the playoffs. They want to be top six. But they probably want to win a first-round series because I bet internally they feel like they were robbed a little bit of an opportunity to lose a first-round series, not not just, you know, the play-in. I, I completely agree. I think that this team – I mean, Jackson Frank out here talking on, on the, talking wild on the timeline about them hosting a playoff series, but that was what they were on pace to do. I said they like, might win. They might be the two seed. Like they might be, finish ahead of the Bucks. They had a legitimate chance to do that. People will not remember that they had gotten through the hardest part of their schedule, and the second right. it got easy, everyone fell apart, and 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 injuries just kind of doomed this team. I am surprised that you don't think the options are internal at at least at the two. Um, is that including Colin Sexton? Like, what are your thoughts on it, on what, on his future with the team, whether they should bring him back? What are your thoughts? Well, I, I mean, I think he's better suited as a sixth man on this team uh, just because of the lack of size up, up front, man. Like, you know, regular season, it doesn't really matter. We saw it in Portland, right? Like smaller guards who aren't good at defense. Like you, you can survive if you score enough. And actually Cleveland with Mobley and Jared Allen there, they make up for a lot of mistakes. But once you get to the playoffs, it's a different beast. And I think if he's on the roster, by the time you get to playoff time, you probably want him coming off the bench for you because you found someone who can defend at the two and three, you know, and, and, that's about the only way you're going to have any sort of playoff success, but they certainly could run Garland and Sexton and make the playoffs. I just think you're making the playoffs and that's about it. So I got to ask you this because, you know, while I know that it's not ideal to have two, six, one guards, I do think that the jumbo lineup elsewhere helps insulate it a little bit. I mean, we are seeing, you know, and these are high, high IQ defensive players who are gritty and, very importantly, have big asses. I've been saying the Cavs have not enough dudes with big asses. Yeah, it's there's a bunch no of, ass at all there. It's a bunch of guys who look like me. 
physically, just just straight up and down. And, uh, you know, like, but you see the Celtics playing Derek White and Marcus Smart at the same time. They, like, you can play guards. It's not like Marcus Smart is huge. No, 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 no. But they're they're different defenders, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if Darius Garland was a, you know, a pit bull defensive player, it's a, a different thing. And Colin Sexton... The same. I'll say the same thing about him. If he was a if he was a plus defensive player, it doesn't matter. But he's not. You know, this isn't Gary Payton the second. Yeah. Gary Payton the second is a guy. Now that's a guy who could be six two out there next to Darius Garland, and you're probably okay. Yeah, I mean, gosh, that guy's so damn fun to watch. I just, I just am not ready to kind of move off of the sex land pairing. And I do want to ask you, like, if you truly believe that. Like, and, you know, you, you hear guys like Chris Fedor report that, you know, uh, this might land in the 15 to 20 million a year kind of category. And, you know, like, is are, are you willing to pay up for Colin Sexton? If not, because for me, I am. If not, just because there's no one else on the marketplace that presents the same value. Oh, I, yeah, I agree. I, I think they ought to extend him. And he is a valuable player. And he's even a valuable player to them. I mean, they don't fall into the play-in if he's there all year. I could not I, agree more. Right? I, 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 I'm not even trying to say that he's a bad player. I just think that you get to a certain point when you hit playoff basketball and you have to make tough decisions. It, plain and simple. Jordan Poole doesn't start for the Warriors for a reason. Yeah, and there, are, and there are going to be there's going to be games in the Celtics series where I bet he plays pretty marginal minutes. Yeah, and even and he's scoring 18 points a game in the playoffs. That yeah. this is just like playoff basketball is a different beast, and the matchup stuff is just so different. Um, and if you give multiple defensive, you know, basically if you give multiple targets to an offense, you, you're toast. It doesn't matter if you have. Mobley and Jared Allen. So I do think that you can run those guys out there in the regular season and, and win a lot of games, but come playoff time, you know, it's going to be tough, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't do it. And, and from a just asset standpoint, signing him to a reasonable contract, a guy who can score 20 points a game has a track record of this. Like he's a good shooter. He's an okay. I mean, like he's below average defensively, but he's not, um, he's not the worst defender. Showing in the league, signs right? of life, Dave. Signs you know of life. I mean? His on-ball metrics yeah, were all pretty good better. last year. Yeah. So it's just that the size thing is an issue. Could he go be a lead guard somewhere else? Maybe. Probably. But he's not. He's not gonna. You know, he's not better than Garland. So you know, the decision to be made is yeah, re-sign him. Try to get him on a reasonable deal. Hope it works out. And, and but you've got that you know bird in the hand when you're looking to make roster upgrades because Colin Sexton I mean people like him around the league yeah it, it makes a lot of sense and that kind of makes me wonder you know there is a degree because of the way it ended there is a lot of rallying from the fan base gotta gotta draft a wing at 14 maybe gotta trade for one gotta use the full mid-level on a wing would it be so bad in your mind if the Caps just said hey we were gonna win like 50 games with the core we had we're just gonna do that like we're gonna take whoever we like best at 14 sign a backup point guard and go like do you think that do you think that they should be looking to you know make those big splashes you hear you know like i i was just on twitter talking with richie randall uh who covers the hornets about you know like 
what if they flipped Levert for Hayward or something like that? Like a, a swing on a big wing. Or do you think, would you stay the course for now and wait till circumstance forces Kobe Altman's hand? Yeah, look at Memphis. Memphis yeah. could could probably do that, to be honest with you. If they wanted to, if there was a swing piece available, they have so many guys. I don't think the Cavs have the assets to start thinking that way yet. And they're not good enough to make a push. Like you make that sort of push when you, it's like, oh, we can make the conference finals. And then you can lock in some money because you're like, okay, well, we've got a team that has a good shot at making the finals and that's worth it. But I don't think this is that yet. Um, They should take the best player available or, you know, if they can find a good trade package and get, you know, a solid young guy back. I mean, like, I wish that they could get like Cam Johnson. You know, he he would be you so and me good, both, right? brother. Yeah. Justin <laughs> and I have been scouring the league for the poor owners that we can that we right. can, that don't like want to pay someone. Williams, Zaire Williams. If you look at like, I mean, he's Memphis isn't trading him, but Zaire Williams. If they could have gotten him, like somehow gotten him last year, right? Like, go look at the guys who've been drafted in the middle of the first round the last few years. It's not there's not a lack of talent. So I think yeah, you take the best player available. Hopefully, you find a guy. Who, who's a good two-way wing and and he could just slot right in and next thing you know you're off to the races i mean maybe they they draft the next herb jones from yeah god would that be lovely i mean there's a lot of really interesting players i know you haven't di- dived stri- too deep into the draft yet but yeah. like there are a, there's a ton of wings that have like one or two fatal flaws and like i kind of love the calves ought to take one of them you know and just and just say, hey, we actually don't need you to be that good this year because we were going to win 50 games last year if we didn't get hurt. Yeah. But they can still move towards that archetype. I do want to ask, like, so if we are going to agree that Darius, Evan, and Jarrett are kind of the guys, you're going to play those three guys in, in not cutting time uh, until, until you know, it's proven to not work with that too big lineup. What kind of players do you think need to play at the two and three don't worry about names but what archetypes do you think that the, that colby altman should be targeting well i mean with the way that garland passes i would love for these guys to be good cutters you know if, if they could get danny green circa 2014 and i know that this is so on brand for me but that sort of guy as your two or three is exactly what this team could use you've got a good point guard who is great in the pick and roll creative passer great shooter who's going to have gravity you've got a couple of bigs that are underrated passers i mean jared allen on the short roll has gotten excellent at finding guys not only in the corner but coming out of the dunker spot evan mobley was you know beneficiary to a bunch of that so i think a guy who can be a smart cutter like uh, someone you would imagine playing for the golden state warriors Right. And we used to do this with the Spurs all the time. But now I think the Warrior system is so much more uh, advanced. It's like the, the Spurs 2.0. So mm-hmm. a, a Warriors type of player. And I know saying that on a Cavs podcast is sacrilegious, but that's the truth, man. Like Otto Porter Jr., you watch how he just was plug and play out there. Smart player knows how to cut, plays the defense, and will shoot threes. Who cares if he makes them? You need him to shoot them. Like Desmond Bain would have been a great guy to to run in the backcourt next to Darius Garland. He's a willing shooter. You need a willing shooter, good cutter, good defender. That's what I want. 
So I think that makes a lot of sense for for one of the two spots. Like, you mm-hmm. know, someone who maybe breaks the schedule a little bit too, a little bit of a, you know, a chaos engine. Like, I'm not saying this type of, not this skill set, but like Bruce Brown, a guy who just like will randomly cut sure. in a way that you don't expect him to cut. Like the Cavs were just a little bit predictable on offense last year. But I do wonder in your mind, like, is it, is it like if they just were to get a Danny Green archetype and a Robert Covington archetype, are they just good to go to war? Or do they need one more ball handler, one more playmaker? Because I I think the fear, at least where Mobley's game is offensively right now, is you don't want to become Hawks light on offense, where it's a Trey Young pick and roll. I guess a Hawks light from a couple of years ago. They have a bunch of playmakers now. But like you don't well, want don't it just to be. Though. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Like, you don't want to just, you know, live and die on on a pick-and-roll offense for a six-foot-one point guard. Like, do you think they need to to be actively looking for? Like, obviously, the Karis LeVert experiment didn't go very well in the short term. Uh, You know, we got a whole season left to figure out kind of where he lands. But do you think they need another ball handler if they want to go from, like, pretty damn good team to like legitimately good team like a team that can go play in the conference finals and actually challenge one of these teams that are there yeah i mean the best teams have more decision makers on the court right guys who can put the ball on the floor and and react and make decisions quickly so you might not need a guy who can necessarily make plays with the ball in his hands but he needs to be able to make plays when the ball finds him if that makes sense. So then this is not like Danny green is fine for three dribbles. I, I would argue that you probably want someone who's a little bit more than that. So like a, a six or seven dribble guy, what clay Thompson's trying to be. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll, I mean, like no, the, the Gordon Hayward archetype, you know, yeah, from when he a was guy. a little healthy. Like I just think secondary they, ball handler who can run side pick and rolls when your primary option has kind of pulled the defense away you know, I, I, and just give Darius a blow. He got keep tired going, a Gordon lot. Hayward. Are you, are you I'm, angling for a I'm, Gordon I'm, Hayward? I'm, trade? I'm a little, I'm hooked on Hayward mentally right now. And I know, and, and it's cause I think there's, it's, it's a damaged asset right now. You know, like it's a, it's a real buy low situation. Might be a damaging asset. Uh, though, it, you it know could what I mean? Be. Like, well, yeah, I, I think I, and here, I actually am high on Mobley's eventual, ball handling and playmaking and and things like that. We saw flashes. I think that this year, like even as early as this, this next season, he he may have more responsibilities on offense. That's what I was wanted to get to uh, before I got uh, sidelined by my big playmaking wing obsession. (laughs) Cause listen, Brandon Ingram's not going to become available. He got too good. Damn it. I know. I know that was our dream last summer. the, The Griff Kobe special is probably dead which is crushing stuff, but I got to find new big play weight making wings to fall in love with. But I do want to talk about Mobley because as much as I, I would actually argue, hi, Justin in the chat. Nice to have you here. See, he is, he is a, he is a, he is a, a super fan of the chase town, even when he's not on it. Um, you know, I would actually argue that if you're just in the in general NBA Twitter verse, people actually, don't understand kind of where Evan Mobley kind of bakes his bread offensively. And they also like, they'll see, you know, him run a pick and roll. They'll see him, uh, you know, uh, hit a post turnaround, but they don't realize that like his creation off, off the dribble is just really not there yet. 
Where do you think his next step is offensively? To to because if he if you're right if he takes that playmaking and scoring step, then you're not as worried about a big playmaking win because you've got another creator on the floor. But right now he's really still more of a connector and a play finisher. Mm-hmm. And and he's he's he became a better passer as he kind of learned the geometry of the NBA court. I think the next big step for him is going to be off the dribble threes. And I, it's, yeah. How about, how about catch and shoot threes? No, I think it's going to be catching the ball on the wing and being able to take a dribble in a shot. Uh, I I do think like, I think about Jokic and Jaron Jackson and the way they're able to do that and how that changes the dynamics of their respective offenses and it draws attention of the defense. So for me, I want to see him take those because I think he can make them. Yeah, catch and shoot is great, but he's too good of a player. Like he's just not going to have that many catch and shoot opportunities. He's too, you know, he's too, maybe pick and pop is where we start, but I want him to be able to catch the ball as a trailer, take a dribble, get into rhythm and take a shot. Dave, you, Jared you Jackson, thrown, I watched Jared you, Jackson. I watched Jared Jackson in the playoffs and I watched him just launching threes. And I'm thinking to myself, I think Mobley could be there in a couple of years, right? Like yeah, that's it's where so I weird with him because his free throws were bad uh, this season, uh, but his floaters are good. He shows a lot of touch. Uh, the three point shot was bad. He shot 25%, but I still think just a little bit of mechanical work. Like what percent do you think a guy like that has to shoot from three to have people give a damn about it? I mean, you know, that's what matters. 35%, yeah. right? Like that's it. That's all he's got to do, but he, it, it's the attempts. Like he, the attempts have to be there. So you have to sell the pop so you can get the, the lane to the basket. And so the pick and roll becomes more effective if he will take five, six, seven a game. And if he starts to make them great, like you need him to make them eventually. You don't need him to make them today. But I want to see him take them. Take yeah, them. I'm I'm completely fine with it as well. Uh, I even liked some of his YOLO threes in the postseason that did not yeah. go in because it's just like it's just a little bit of like assertiveness. Like I don't. But here's my kind of question for you: Do you kind of think he'll ever be like an Anthony Davis type scorer, a guy who'll go get you forty, or do you think he's going to be? And not to this this is this initial framing is going to sound disrespectful to Duncan, but. Duncan was a guy who could take over a game on offense and score 20 points. Like I, um, I think, yeah, I think that version of, of offensive impact is much more likely where it's 25, but it's efficient and it it's timely. And the IQ just kind of carries the day. I don't, do you see a like Mobley scores 40, like averages 35 for a playoff series at any point in his career? Cause I'm not sure I do. No, probably not. He's too high effort on the defensive end, I, I think, for that, right? Like, let's see. If he becomes jaded by being in the NBA. And he he stops will never. Hard on don't, don't talk about him that way, damn it. I mean, Cleveland has no experience with that. So you guys maybe just don't see it coming. But um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but I, I think that they're, you're probably more right. Like, I could see him being a 22-11 and, like, four assists, right? Like, with, with a couple of blocks and a couple of steals even. Like, he could be that. I mean, what is that, Kevin Garnett? Yeah, that's, um, it's not yeah, yeah. a bad thing. Like, if, right. if, oh, if he, any he, of you are Garnett. hearing that and going, oh, no, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but, like, that's the thing. With a relatively incomplete offensive game, shooting 
pretty terribly from the free throw line, not drawing a ton of free throws because he's just not strong enough to right. do it yet. Um, he still averaged 15 like last year, like on on a high minutes total. He played 34 minutes a game, but like it's not a leap. And I do think it's just going to come from the little things that make the defense react to him a little bit more aggressively when he has the ball in his hands. And an important thing to remember is that rookies are actually like they're ignorant, yeah. <laughs> right? Like they're, I don't want to say dumb cause that's, that's not the right thing, but they're ignorant and they're learning just how to play in the NBA. So think about how, how instinctual he had to be. And now he's developing better habits and he actually knows how to do stuff. And it's not just, relying on uh, his, his natural tendencies. I think this guy has great instincts defensively. I mean, this is, he has potential to be special. Elite, elite instincts. Yeah. And then the offensive game feels like it's going to be pretty well-rounded and complete. And, and I trust the jumper. I think the jumper is going to come around. Can, I, can I venture towards slander? Ooh. Whenever I watched Anthony Davis, peak athlete defense Anthony Davis, I always have felt as though it was a little more on the I'm a freak athlete side of the spectrum than I'm a defensive genius side of the spectrum. I think Mobley has a chance to be a lot better defensively than Anthony Mm -hmm. Davis was at his peak. Well, it's the Tim Duncan thing. Yeah, I mean, do you agree with that take? Yeah. I, I Look, man, how much force does Anthony Davis play with? Not much. Force is underrated. And it's, it's we all watched what happened with DeAndre Ayton. He basically, he, you know, like got ran out of the playoffs, essentially. By Maxi Kleba. I just don't think Mobley is a guy. I think he's going to be a forceful player. And part of that is because he's so smart. He's going to, it's kind of the Draymond thing. Draymond is smart. And it's it, everything is so is done so purposefully, but he's always in the right place. So when he applies force, it actually makes a difference. And I think Mobley has a chance to be that kind of guy. Now let's see how his body fills out, and and if that strength comes, I think he's going to be an even an even bigger force. He he, he could be a, a legitimate monster and game changer. A guy that like the Eastern Conference teams are going to have to scheme around, like similar to like Giannis. It's the defense on the defensive end. Of course. Who's the best player on the Cavs next year? Darius Garland. I agree. I think Evan's got a couple years before he takes that mantle. I think there was a lot of people trying to say that it was already Evan. And no, man, Darius Garland is uh, lightning in a bottle. So till, till you have a guy, I mean, Evan Mobley makes, he's a huge impact on defense. The offensive stuff just isn't there yet. Darius Garland raises the level of their offense just alone to a, to a place where uh, it just wouldn't be without him. He is the proverbial straw that that stirs the drink. I want to ask about the backup spot next. Um, Ricky Rubio was amazing for them until he uh, his, he tore his ACL. Stopgap trade for Rondo, who immediately got hurt and played very sparingly and. You know, he's just a really, really old guy, and you know, those guys just don't have it every night. Um, he's older than me. He's really, really old. Um, you know, but like I, I always say that like when you're an old, people think that getting washed up means that you just aren't good anymore, and it typically yeah. means you're only good like once out of every five games. And that was the Rondo experience, like amazing against the Nets, kept him in the game, and then against the Hawks, right after against a worse team, he was just couldn't couldn't play, couldn't hang. And 
you know, with the the very legitimate chance of them re-signing Colin Sexton and with Karis LeVert having been added to the roster, with Isaac Okoro, with Lowry Markinen playing the three, with uh, the 14th pick coming in, that's probably not going to be uh, a point guard just based on team yeah. need. Do you think this team needs to prioritize a backup point guard, or do you think that they should try to get by with Colin Sexton as their backup point? Because that hasn't gone that well historically, playing him at the one, but also like it, it's just going to be hard to get ever to, you know, there's a lot of mouths to feed if you go trade for, you know, as, as Chris Fedor has reported, someone like Mike Conley. Right. I, look, I think that it, the Colin Sexton injury and the lost year, is going to be a big what if for this team uh, going into the season, right? Because I can make a great argument that Colin Sexton's passing has improved every single season, right? He's gotten better at finding guys, gotten better at being a distributor and playmaker. Smarter across the board, better off ball cutter, smarter and when to push in transition. Just he's gotten better every year. So maybe the 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 idea is, I mean, if you're going to start those guys, maybe you just get your substitution pattern set up so that you, you run those two as your primary, you know, point guards, almost 48 minutes, you know, you stagger their minutes that way they get time alone time with, you know, maybe some bigger twos. And then you try to get a guy, I mean, you know, Tyus Jones, it would be like pie in the sky. You couldn't get him. Cause he yeah, basically I is think a he's starter, gonna, but they have more, they have the mid-level. I don't think yeah, he's, 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 he's going to cost more. He's going to cost more than the mid-level. Yeah, but like if you could get, maybe you could find like Aaron Holiday or someone of that of that nature. Uh, maybe even in Howell the second Neto. round, right? My the Howell Neto is my Danny Green. Oh, okay. What about Ish Smith? I mean, he's kind of getting up there, but I, I will. I have so much respect for Ish Smith, just yeah. being in the league as long as he's been because he can't shoot. He's six foot nothing. But he always has a game, one game a year. You just got to find out when that game can dribble like an MFR. He can he can run a pick and roll like nobody else's business. Like that dude is going to be shredding the lifetime fitness when he's 50 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, maybe you could find like a minimum sort of uh, veteran um, to to fill that third role. Yeah. Just somebody who can come in and not make mistakes. Um, You know, they basically played. I would even argue Rubio, even though he played his way into a bigger role, like was set up. Like if Colin Sexton doesn't get hurt, does Rubio even get the runway to do what he did? Not like that. Right. So it's just um, sometimes you stumble into something good and I would actually just try rolling the dice a little bit. Maybe flip that spot around a few times and and you look for guys. I mean, look at how many people, how many players uh, I just saw it. Um, 57% 57% of the players on the roster in the finals played in the G League at some point. That's crazy. Yes. That's that is nuts. A, what a success. Look at what teams like the Clippers do with, with their two-way spots. They, I mean, you know, they're bringing guys in. They're giving them minutes. They're trying to see if they can play. And they, look at how many players they find. You know, in Miami, another example, Max Struess, $1.8 million guaranteed next year that they haven't guaranteed yet, which is pretty amazing. Uh, Ridiculous. I think the Cavs could tap into a little bit of that for that third guard spot. And, and I mean, obviously that's easier said than done, but that's where I'd be leaning with it. I think I'm with you. You roll with what you got, let the coaching staff sort of figure it out and, and then try to find a third guy internally a little bit. 
Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting challenge because there's this weird thing where they just jumped the development curve so much where next year the expectation from the fan base at least and I bet from the roster is we're going to make the playoffs, we're going to try to, you know, even maybe host a, a playoff series if we're if we're really feeling frisky. That set of expectations runs a little contrary to play around and see if, see what you can figure out. And right. I'm going to be really interested to see kind of how playful Kobe and JB are willing to be. Before we move on to finals preview, uh, I do want to ask the same question, but at the backup five spot. Because on one hand, the Cavs basically just came in the last year. We said, they said, we're not going to have a conventional backup five. Ed Davis literally said, I'm not here to play basketball. I'm here to be a, a veteran leader. Um, and then, you know, they basically just agreed that Evan Mobley was going to be their backup five. And they were going to spread all that the minutes at the four to Lowry Markinen, Kevin Love, Evan Mobley. And Evan only had to play, you know, 10, 15 minutes a game at the five because Jared ate up the other 30. That works until one of them gets hurt. And then all of a sudden they're playing Moses. They're starting Moses Brown down Moses the stretch. Brown. Yeah. Do you think I, that this is a team that can afford to invest a little bit more into a veteran at the backup five, knowing full well that if you pay someone with a, with any name value whatsoever, a guy who's a person who's played actual minutes in the league, that it's going to be a lot harder to play Mobley at those minutes at the five, or you just got to say you don't get to play, even though you're not a bad player. Like what, how would you attack that? You know, that kind of political conundrum. I wouldn't sign a backup five. I would go with Moses Brown and, and Mobley as your backup fives. I, I mean, you know, I, I just, again, maybe I just think about this stuff differently, but I, I'm, I don't know, man, it's not that much of a difference maker to bring a guy in for 12 minutes. I, I think that if you look to, to go back to your point that you keep, that you keep hitting, they were going to win 50 games with what they had stick with it. Just do that again. They're better. Like there's going to be Garland's going to be better. Mobley's going to be better. I think Jared Allen might be better. Colin Sexton. We'll see. And you know, he's coming off the injury. So we don't know. I just think there's going to be so much internal improvement just from the knowns that the unknowns either work themselves out or you work it out during the season. I mean, this is a team that doesn't have, shouldn't have finals aspirations. So that means that you've got some wiggle room. The, you know, the 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 roster's not that expensive. You know, I just think, uh, give it a shot, man. Moses Brown wasn't bad. Uh, he, he wasn't bad. He, he was he, fine. He, it was tough relying on him when they were trying to make a run. But here, it's almost the backup quarterback conundrum in the NFL, like, yeah, there there are people with the school of thought that you should never pay money to a backup quarterback because if your quarterback's hurt, you're screwed anyway. And like maybe there's some degree of that with the with the Cavs. Like if Mobley or Allen are not right, this team's probably not doing much. And Andre Drummond as your backup center is not going to change that. Yeah, and and you that's know? and that's a really good point because a guy like Drummond just got played off the court anyway when when it when it mattered. So. You might have talked me out of this one because that's been the one position. You know, we've talked a lot about uh, this this offseason so far about what lessons Kobe Altman is going to choose to learn from because with such a weird end of the year and then a two-game postseason, you know, you can draw a lot of big conclusions and you have to choose which ones you think are real and which ones aren't. 
And, you know, you might have talked me down because I that was one conclusion I was pretty hard set on. Go get a guy who can, you know, play 25 minutes if either one of those guys is hurt. And maybe you just don't need to. That's a lot of money in the bigs, right? Yeah. And and I think that you probably are pretty good where you're at. And and the the guard wing situation is is where it needs. You need an upgrade there first. Maybe you find a guy on the scrap heap as, as like a backup center that you didn't expect to be there. But and that happens I all the time. It. I mean, Hartenstein, who the cat who I loved, I was sad the Cavs didn't tender a, yeah. uh, a Q uh, a Q02, uh, gets picked up during camp by the Clippers and becomes maybe you know a top three backup five in the league. He supplanted Zubats in the playoffs, like with the way he was playing. I mean, it was matchup dependent, but it was he outplayed Zubats for them. So, you know, like this stuff happens. I mean, you can find guys. But maybe Moses Brown is the guy. Maybe he is. Uh, I, we'll have to see. I do want to uh, take the last 10, 10, 12 minutes of, of this pod and talk finals. Um, the Warriors, the, 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 the long uh, adversaries of the Cavs, they're back. It sucks. And then the Celtics uh, finally get there. It also sucks. I hate it. <laughs> I hate both these teams uh, at their core, but uh, they're starting to win me over just in their in their sheer force of will. In the macro, what do you think we've learned about kind of what modern playoff success looks like from these playoffs? Because I feel like a lot of this stuff has not gone to expectation. I mean, consi- compared to what we were at, two, three months ago. What, what do you think that your biggest takeaways are that maybe the Cavs front office should be learning from uh, about well, the, the team construction? It seems like defensive flexibility is the single most important key to winning an NBA championship. You need to be able to guard in seven or eight different ways. That's just how it is now. Um, part of that is just the way offenses are built. Part of that is the rules and the way the game is officiated. But you need to be able to mix things up and not just play one way. And I think that for the Cavs, that'll be a big thing for them is they need to be able to play. And especially in the East, I mean, look at look at Milwaukee. Like you can't just play drop all the time. You've got to find a way to switch. You've got to find a way to be able to go small. You have to you have to be able to play. It's total basketball really is what it is. I mean, when I look at Boston and I look at Golden State and Golden State, of course, is miles one would might even say light years ahead Ugh. of everybody else. Uh, I, I do think that that sort of flexibility defensively is my, my biggest sort of takeaway from this playoffs in particular. Look at the last four teams. All of them have the ability to play big or small. Maxi Kleba as their, as the sort of rim protecting big for, for Dallas. And then they could go Dorian Finney-Smith at the five. We know about the Warriors. There's is obvious Miami Bam out of bio is sort of a little bit of both, um, you know, and, and obviously with Boston, Robert Williams seems to my, you know, he's maybe a better version of Bam out of bio, yeah, which and, is crazy. But to your point, they can put him on the bench and be better against some configurations yes. on that side so of the it, ball. A lot, a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense. If, if you use conventional wisdom, it's like, okay, wait, so this guy, Robert Williams, for instance, got defensive player of the year votes. As a matter of fact, every starter on the Celtics got a defensive player of the year vote. 
And I don't disagree. I, I actually think that that's kind of an interesting thing to look at. That one thing. Oh, all of these guys. And they, they're the best defense in the league. They're one of the best defenses of the modern era, I, I think, um, when they're at their peak. Nobody and, tags out better. I, that's the one thing I point to basketball fans who don't like watch that much when they get caught in like the thing is people think they don't get caught in disadvantageous switches. They do all the time. They just tag each other out before anyone can get the ball down to the low man. Every guy on that defense can cover 20 feet in a second and a half. I mean, it is just pretty nuts. Robert Williams coming from the weak side to protect the rim. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is like Dwight Howard. Yeah. It's ridiculous. 15 years ago. And I just, I don't know. So that's my takeaway is that defensive versatility needs to be the number one priority. What is your defense doing? Obviously you got to be able to score and that's, that's a no brainer to me, but being able to play defense more than one way has eluded a lot of teams that are what we would consider uh, top tier teams. Utah can't do it. Milwaukee has struggled with it. I mean, it took one player missing time for them to their entire defensive plan fell apart. Chris Middleton, which people don't think about the defensive part with him, but he allows them to play Giannis at the five comfortably and not lose out on offense. So it's just um, that defensive flexibility is what the the Cavs should be looking at. And this is why, you know, Mobley's development as as a real rangy five is going to matter to them uh, quite a bit in the next few years. And that's why I think, if you're listening, if you're a close listener to the pod, you'll find Justin and I recently enamored with people like Jeremy Grant as potential trade targets, guys who can play big three and also play up at the four and be good defensively at the four. Like that, that's kind of where the, the, the tower city lineup with Lowry at the three kind of falls apart in playoff circumstances is when, when Lowry is playing at the three and there's someone to attack him on the perimeter, they can hunt that switch. Or whenever Mobley or Allen sits there, the team's defensive identity kind of falls apart. You know, I mean, you can look at the on-off numbers. They're not strong uh, when, when one of Allen or Mobley are on the floor. And it's often because of the personnel around them. So, like, if, if I'm the Cavs, I'm looking for that 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 wing that has enough offensive punch to be able to play the three without getting cooked, but can switch up to that four at any given time because the Cavs are not that flexible defensively right now. And it's mm-hmm. actually not even a byproduct of Mo- Mobley, the Mobley Allen pairing, because both those dudes switch better than as good as any big in the league. It's it. And we're seeing it with Boston is getting away with Horford Tice lineups. And it's no, working. it's about the guards, man. It's always this is the other thing, and, and you know, I am I'm about to go on a rant here, but go, go, the go. way that the way the NBA defense is talked about is infuriating to the basketball part of me. I don't care because it, you know, we get paid to just talk. So please talk away. But the way that people talk about NBA defense can be so infuriating because you are like so onto something here with the Allen and Mobley are not the reason that they can't switch. You're right. It's just like Gobert in Utah. If your guards just give it up, there's no you're not there's no need to switch. They're going to attack your guards. You can't even switch because they've got the guy that they want up front. And so, okay, you're going to switch to Okoro. And we talked about the size issues there. So, I, I just think that your defense up front is a limiter. 
And so now you've got to find a way to boost the level of those other guys so that Garland can be out there and you can, you know, not get cooked on a switch. So, so if you're building this Cavs team, is your basic role like, I'm just not going to have any, in my crunch time lineup, I'm not going to have a bad defender out there except, you know, Darius, who has his obvious physical limitations. Is that your hard and fast rule if you're Kobe Altman? Like, hey, if we want to be in this modern league, you got you to gotta be big, strong, and able to switch. Yeah, and, and hopefully smart. Yeah, because smart. that's, that's Garland the is gonna, most important part. I, mean, I think Garland's you, actually not a dumb defensive player. No, no, I think no, no, his no, no, body no. lets and, him and down And it's not sometimes. low effort. It's not low yeah. effort, right? And see, this is like John Morant, right? Like John Morant, it's not low effort. It's the body. And it, it like, I think that you can work with those guys. And now jaw is just food. And, and so was Darius, but you can at least work with those guys and they can increase their level. I think he'll improve um, because he is a smart defender. It's part of why he can sometimes, you know, make good pass uh, plays on passes in the passing lanes. And so as he develops, hopefully it's not that big of an issue. I mean, Steph Curry is a plus defender now. Yeah. And it wasn't that way when he came in the league. So as his body develops a little bit more, hopefully he improves. But yeah, that would probably be my rule, man, is that we just do not have, we have one hole on defense, but we can cover for him through pre-rotating, pre-switching, you know, whatever the amoeba thing is that the Warriors are throwing out there. I mean, you know, it's, I just think that there, there are a lot of ways to skin a cat and you need to know all of them. You got to so, have them all in your bag of tricks. So when, when the Cavs are trying to get to this level, uh, based on you know the current arc of the team, what do you think is most likely to let them down when they go to play against you know the Celtics of the world, the Warriors of the world? Do you think shooting. they're off their offense or their defense? I think in the, in the macro. Yeah, I think the shooting in particular, right? Like um, every NBA defense is going to just work to take away your first and second option. It, it's going to wind up find the ball finds a guy that you don't want it to find. Do you want Isaac Okoro taking that shot from the corner with four seconds left on the shot clock? Not right now. And that's playoff basketball, you know? Uh, And that was That was Grant Williams last year. And now this year he can't miss from that very (laughs) corner. Yeah. So, you know, it takes development and stuff like that, but it's that's to me is is their big question mark is, you know, scoring points when it matters, the defense I think is going to translate. And even if they don't go to a switch heavy scheme, they're still going to be fine defensively, you know, depending on, on matchup, but yeah, the offense, that's a worry. Yeah. Especially if Mobley's three point ball doesn't develop. I I think they did not make the postseason this year because of their offense in those two games. Mm -hmm. They didn't, they held Brooklyn and Atlanta to reasonable scoring totals and they couldn't score when it mattered. And, you know, part of that is just Darius having a, objectively bad shooting game against Atlanta just couldn't the ball you know had a lid on the bucket and couldn't get it in but you know I I I think that is where they were let down before we wrap who's one in the finals Dave because I I'd have no freaking clue because this this I I have found this postseason so challenging to project I think it's going to be the Warriors I can't shake that either I think it is yeah And as good as Boston has been, I think that the question marks for Boston are the offense, especially when you, if you go and look at what they just did against Miami, it was not inspiring. No one thing that you can hang your hat on. If you're Boston is that the warriors refuse to value the basketball in every possession. 
that's points for Boston. Boston is great at getting out, creating some chaos, causing turnovers and turning that into points. So if they can do that enough, I think they can hang, but their half court, I just trust the Warriors to be able to guard them in the half court more times than I trust the Celtics to do it, even with their historically great defense. I think the Warriors always find a way. I foresee a lot of Celtics possessions that waste 19 seconds trying to get Tatum onto Curry. And they don't even start, man, they only start running plays until 12 seconds left on the clock. And the Warriors will love that because guess what? That lets Steph Curry stay fresher to run your ass ragged on the other end. Yeah. And I just think if you're looking at, you know, if you're a Cavs fan and you remember how the Cavs attacked Curry and, you know, brought J.R. Smith over to screen for LeBron. Like, the Celtics are going to do all that same stuff. Tatum's not as good of a playmaker as LeBron was. He's a better shooter than he was, but he's not the same playmaker. And I think the Warriors will gum it up enough. And then defensively, I think the Celtics have kind of gotten an easier road than people realize. Like, I thought Brooklyn scored on them. I think Brooklyn scored on them fine when they actually ran good offense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that... Milwaukee just did not have a, a guy who could hit an open fi- pull-up 15-footer. And then Miami was so beat up offensively. It was just hard. And they were already a pretty limited offensive team, in my opinion, just uh, structurally. Like, I think, and, and it's funny, Grant Williams said in a recent profile that Darius was his hardest cover in the league. And I wonder, I wonder, Dave, if some of, the, some of this more chaotic guard play is what actually destabilizes this Boston defense more than just good pick and roll ball handlers and size on the ends. I I think the I think the Warriors offense might have a better time than people think they're going to because like there's always that two game adjustment period anyway where it's like oh right shit this is different than what we've been playing against and I think that little edge that first couple game edge is going to be enough to give Warriors the the series, but oh, it's going to be tight, man. I'm pumped. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a a great basketball exhibition, right? It's going to look like what the ba- like what the sport of basketball is turning into, because we're not quite there yet. But this is what we're about to have is these sorts of teams, and especially the Warriors. I, I just think that the overwhelming success that they've had in this run with Steph Curry, and certainly it is Steph Curry driven. And that is a guy that is ne- we're likely never to see again. Although, you know, Darius Garland could certainly adopt uh, a little bit of that and, and maybe do some stuff there. But to look at the way that they play offense philosophically, I just don't know why every team isn't trying to figure out a way to do that. It takes a special guy, though, to be the, the engine of it, that. It takes and, and a I special think- guy, and it takes just more IQ than there might be in the league right now. I <laughs> it's mean, true, but they keep finding guys that they plug in there that do well. And, but and even so- they've made the, those mistakes, though, Certainly. Dave. I mean, Kelly Oubre and, and, and D'Angelo Russell, yeah. like they had to get out. Like those other those talented but players. But Andrew can, Wiggins. Yeah. Who well, everyone, yeah. I mean, but this is the thing. I think that those guys are out there. You just find them and you coach them up. And I think coachability is one of the underrated aspects of the whole Warriors roster. Yeah. Well, it, right. Curry's their Duncan in, in it, that way. hundred percent. Exactly. And it starts from the top. So um, yeah, man, I, I'm pumped for the finals, but I think it's going to be the Warriors. Awesome. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming on. Anything you want to plug while you're here? Yeah. Check out the athletic NBA show. We're, we're killing it. Yeah, Literally. you are. Like we, we are just dominating. So yeah, go check it out. Awesome, man. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk Coop with you. You always have such an interesting perspective and you challenge me, Dave. And Good. that's, that's what glad. I like to hear. So thank you so much. Everyone go check out the Athletic NBA show. If you'd like to support the Chase Down pod, go ahead, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, help cook the books a little bit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, anywhere you want to. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe to the Cavs YouTube channel, but I cannot imagine you have not already done that. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. Justin will be back on the next pod. So very, very excited for these finals. Thank you for listening, and as always, go Cavs. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.